Hi, Craig. Hi, Craig. Hi, Craig. Hello, and welcome back to the paddocks. Today, we are diving into the rules and sporting regulations that govern Formula One. On today's episode, we have Hannah, Chelsea, and myself, Amy. I'm going to hand it off to Chelsea to give us a little background on what the FIA is. So what is the FIA? Well, according to the FIA website, they are the governing board for World Motorsport and the Federation of the World's Leading Motoring Organizations. It was founded in 1904, headquartered in Paris, and is a nonprofit-making association. Now, originally, the group was created by 12 organizations from around the world that were governing motorsports in their own countries. It's grown since then, and it covers just a lot more than Formula One. It's rally sports, endurance racing, and karting, and so much more. And it brings together 244 international motoring and sporting organizations from 146 countries on five continents. That's a lot, if I really think about it. (laughs) But the organization represents more than millions of people a year. And it's actually their job to make sure that these motorsports are being handled fairly and safely. So their main focus is they have to make decisions and create regulations that will ensure a safer experience for not only the drivers, but us, the fans watching. Now, because of this, they take accidents on the track really seriously. And they have been known to penalize driver above what the crowds expect, being called unfairs many times over the years. At the end of the day, though, the FIA's message is simple. You are in safe hands not fair hands. So let's go ahead and dive right in. So the sporting regulation book consists of many segments, licenses to compete, protest, appeals, how the press and media conferences work, and general safety along with much more. So while I won't dive fully into it, I plan to skim on just the crevice of what the regulations talk about fully to kind of give you some understanding. The rules and regulations that govern F1 competition are contained to three rule books. The Formula One sporting regulations, which we are talking about now, the Formula One technical regulations, and lastly, a newer regulation book, financial regulations, which was introduced when cost caps came into the picture more prevalent. So let's talk about some general rules and regulations of Formula One. So drivers can take any number of warm-up drives, providing they do not go into the grid themselves. They must take up their place on the grid in their qualifying order once the pit lane closes. The race begins when all cars have taken up their grid positions officially. The starting lights consist of 10 red lights with 5 columns, so 2 lights per column, and each column lights up one after the other at a one second interval from each other from left to right direction. Once all five columns are lit up, they stay that way for a few seconds. Without warning though, they all get extinguished at once and the race gets underway. And that's when lights out and away we go officially get started. Any interruption to the start means the five red lights will illuminate once more, but this time they do not get extinguished. Orange lights are then lit up instead, and the race will restart from there. Which, I don't recall ever seeing that this has happened, but historically this has happened in the past. 
Formula One rules and regulations govern that the race distance and duration, the race length must meet 305 kilometers and or 260 kilometers for the Monaco Grand Prix. They're a little special. It is defined as the smallest number of complete laps that exceed 305 kilometers that make up the amount of laps for each GP. The governing body obtains the number of laps in the race by dividing 305 by the length of a full lap of a track. According to the rules of F1, the lap distance will be different at each racetrack. The duration of any Formula One race cannot exceed two hours. The race gets considered as finished at the end of the ongoing lap if it exceeds the two-hour limit. A Formula One GP is a three-day event taking place over the weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. But different racing events will take place on each of these three days, such as Friday would be free practice sessions, Saturday is free practice sessions plus a qualifying session, and Sunday is race day. This does differentiate when you see the new sprint shootouts come in play, but we'll talk about that later. So each Grand Prix has three practice sessions. Two 90-minute sessions take place on a Friday. There will be one in the morning and the other takes place in the afternoon. The third and final practice session goes ahead on Saturday. FIA rules do allow third drivers to take part in Friday practice sessions. They are not regular drivers, but they can take the place of a regular driver. As a rule, a third driver is a newcomer looking to gain experience in racing exposure at Grand Prix events. But I'd advise check out our Formula 101 episode where we talk about all the points in the weekend format more in depth there. And now let's dive into some of the penalties in Formula 1. So all F1 races get monitored by a panel of race stewards. They can give out penalties if they determine that a rule infraction has occurred. Penalties in Formula 1 include jumping the start, causing an unnecessary collision, corner cutting, passing under caution, speeding in the pit lane, and blocking another driver as he attempts to pass which we have seen in qualifying sessions ago, like, happens. So that's just one thing to reference. <laughs> but there are many different punishments for breaking the rules of Formula One, but three of the most common are drive-through penalties, which means a driver must drive through the pit lane within three laps of the given penalty. And then race disqualification. A driver gets black flagged. That means he is not permitted to continue in the race. And the most common, a grid placement penalty. He is given a placement penalty depending on the infraction given, which you'll see is basically the most common. You don't see very many race disqualifications, if at all, because most of the time they've given many, many notice prior to receiving said disqualification. But let's talk about what it takes to be a Formula One driver. So as you may know, a regular driver's license isn't enough for these F1 drivers as they must obtain what is called an F1 super license. Nope, it is actually issued by the Federation International de Automobile, also known as FIA. This license involves an intense written test and prior racing experience. 
these drivers will also have to choose what nationality slash state they choose to race under. So like Alex Albon races under the Thai flag, which is associated with your license. These cars also have to meet a certain weight requirement along with these drivers. So for the 2023 season, the driver and car must weigh a combined minimum of 796 kilograms, which equals 1,754 pounds for our U.S. people. Weights are added to the car where the driver is too light to help level the playing field. Drivers are also to weigh themselves before and after the race. And did you know drivers could drop anywhere from 4 to 8 pounds during the race due to sweating from high temperatures? This is in line with the regulations and to support the medical staff in case there are any concerns. But let's go ahead and move on to some of the Formula One pit stop rules that you'll see over the race weekend. As a rule, unless the regulations change again, F1 cars do not actually refuel during the actual race. Refueling cars during a race got banned in 2010. The official Formula One sporting regulation state, teams are not permitted to add or remove fuel from a car during a race and or after leaving the pit lane. In some cases, only with approval, they can refuel during the weekend practice sessions. But only inside their team garage, at a rate of 0.8 liters per second, which is actually pretty slow for the amount of fuel that the cars take in. The driver must remain in the car though while this is happening, but due to the rest of the car must be turned off to ensure safety. Fuel and tire management has also been a major consideration in race strategy. Tire wear and brake wear is critical for pit stop planning during each race as well. So Formula One tires, On a standard weekend, drivers are given 13 sets of dry weather tires, 4 sets of intermediates, and 3 sets of full wets. An extra set of softs is reserved for those who reach Q3 and Q3 only, while all drivers must use at least 2 different slick compounds in a race, providing that the track is dry. This means tire compounds will be mandated for each stage of F1's usual 3-part qualifying session. Hard tires are only in Q1, medium tires only in Q2, and soft tires only in Q3. Intermediates and wets will be allowed if the RQF sessions are declared wet. At RQF events, each driver may use no more than 11 sets of dry wet tires, a slight reduction to the standard number referenced above. Four sets of intermediate tires and three sets of wet weather tires. Now, you may ask, what is RQF? Well, RQF stands for Revised Qualifying Format and is for the purpose of evaluating whether the revision are suitable subsequent championships. The intention of this is also to reduce the number of tires used on a Grand Prix event slash weekend. Now, this is only a trial and is currently only being tested at two races, so we'll see if it actually sticks or not. And now let's talk safety car regulations. So the F1 sporting regulation states that the safety car may be brought into operation to neutralize the race upon an order from the clerk of the course, which is basically the FIA safety 
stewards and will be used only if competitors or officials are in immediate physical danger on or near the track. But the circumstances are not as such as to consider suspending the race as a whole. Before the race can resume, three things must happen. One, the car between the safety car and the leader firstly need to be let through. Second, lap cars need to be allowed to overtake the safety car. And three, the safety car returns to the pits at the end of the following lap. Each lap completed under the safety car is counted as a race lap. The FIA can also call upon the virtual safety car to neutralize a practice session or a race. This is normally used when a double weight flag is needed or put in place in any section of the track and competitors or officials may be in danger, but the circumstances are not needed as to warrant the use of the safety car itself. So the virtual safety car, also known as the VSC, was introduced for the 2015 season after being developed in the response to Jules Bianchi's tragic accident at the 2014 Japanese GP. Bianchi died nine months after suffering severe head injuries where he crashed into a recovery vehicle in heavy rain. Now, Article 5513, I'm going to read this directly from it, now reads, if the clerk of the course consi considers it safe to do so and the message lapped cars may now overtake has been sent to all competitors using the official messaging system so they can send a message to like the car on the wheel for them to see. And all cars that have been lapped by the leader will be required to pass the cars on the lead lap and the safety car to get everything back in order. The change replaced the phrasing, which read any rather than all lap cars are required to overtake and rejoin at the back of the field prior to the restart. The alteration was made also to prevent a repeat of the controversial 2021 title designer in Abu Dhabi, where Max and Lewis were head to head as um, who was going to win the overall driver's championship. There was a lot of issues and controversy that came out of that from the FIA and many friends. So now you may ask, what are the F1 stewards? So they are there to ensure this, that regulations are essentially followed, not to make the most popular decision like Chelsea mentioned. And in that respect, there are a few who envy what the F1 stewards actually do. The way stewards work in F1 have involved a great deal over the, over the years not least because of the technology involved in F1 nowadays and how much they have to know about everything at all times. So stewards have access to hundreds of camera angles, live data, team radio messages, and much more to and still manage to make decisions in a matter of minutes. There are those who argue F1 would benefit from having a thinner rulebook and let drivers sort out arguments themselves. I don't know how that would work though if you let drivers solve their arguments themselves. Let's be honest with you. Um, there might be a boxing ring. So now let's talk about Media Day and other FIA sanctioned events. Did you know that drivers and teams can actually be fined a fee for being late to an event or being a no-show. 
So in the media rulebook, it is actually required for every driver to talk to the media immediately after the race, along with media days on Thursday and even the driver parade. So if you are late to the driver parade, they will find a fee for being late because it is required to be there. And that is crazy. And the fine can range from anywhere from 5000 up to 25000 Probably for these drivers, it's nothing or these teams. But for me, that's crazy. Could you imagine? I couldn't. Now, let's talk about some restricted number components, also known as RNC. So RNC are components which have a limitation in numbers that can be used by each driver in a competition over the championship series. For each RNC, each driver may use up to a maximum number of each elements for the entire championship. This maximum will vary per item and as a function of the competitions in that championship. So, should a driver use more than an allowable max value slash amount of elements for a given RNC, a grid penalty will be imposed upon him for the race at the first competition it is used at and with each additional element that follows is used. So the penalties consist of five grid placement positions. And these items which are in the RNC category is a gearbox case, a cassette, a gearbox driveline, gear change components, and auxiliary components. Stay tuned, we do plan to do like a technical regulations where we'll dive into what those RNC categories are in depth. So most of the time, you were given three switchouts before they start announcing penalties, but that does vary per apart and by the FIA. Currently, the sporting regulations book does not show the qualify like the amount that each one consists of, but from recent studies, it shows about three. So now let's talk about the racing flags that get used in basically all motorsports and racing competitions. So Formula One motor racing flags send out various signals and messages to the drivers. For example, flags indicate the race start, lap indication, bad weather, and the finish. The three flag categories used in F1 motorsport racing are status. There are five status flags used in Formula One racing. Instruction flags, Five instruction flags communicate with one specific driver at a time. And of course, the checker flag. A race marshal waves the black and white checker flag at the finish, finish line. This flag indicates that the race has officially ended. And again, check out our Formula 101 episode where we dive into what each flag is in depth. Now, let's talk about the Formula One racing point system. So, Formula One rules changed its point system for the Formula One World Championship back in 2010. Since then, drivers only get points if they finish in the top 10 place. The points contribute towards the outcome of the World Drivers and World Constructors Championship at the end of the F1 season. As a rule, there are 20 to 25 Grand Prix in each racing season. It seems to be that they keep adding more, which is fun and exciting. So we'll see. The Grand Prix race winners will receive 25 points. Getting the win also awards 25 points towards the Constructors' Championship for the team. Both teams' cars 
contribute to the Constructors' Championship point if they both finish in the top 10. Drivers do not receive any points unless they get classified as a finisher. This means completing 90% of the race, of the distance covered by the race winner. This F1 ruling applies no matter whether the driver completes the race or not. Further, Formula 1 rules apply to the racing point system. There may be times when a race gets stopped or cannot restart due to bad weather conditions. In this case, the top 10 finishers would get half the points shown in the F1 points table. This providing a winner covers at least 75% of the full race distance. And check out our Formula 1 episode for all the points <laughs> and the breakdowns. Now let's talk about Park Ferme. After weighing during each qualifying session, teams are required to take their cars to a place in the paddock, sanctioned off by the FIA and also on the grid, known as Park Ferme. They may not do work on the cars other than routine maintenance only until they are released from Park Ferme for the race the next morning. If a team must do other significant work on the car, including body work or suspension adjustments, the car will actually end up starting from the pit lane for the race slash qualifying session. So let's talk about some pit rules. So pit lane exit rules. While exiting their pit box, drivers must pull away in a safe manner that does not endanger team personnel or other drivers. Teams must signal for the driver that their driver is leaving the pit box. If a driver is found or sighted leaving the pit box in an unsafe manner, they will be assessed and given an unsafe release penalty and punished with the 10 second stop and go penalty when exiting the pit lane. Drivers must observe the speed of 800 kilometers speed limit every time that they're in the pit lane. Now let's talk about some pit crew rules. So the pit crew is only allowed to come out onto the inner pit inner pit lane immediately before their driver arrives. Once drivers arrive and leave, they are to quickly to leave the inner lane and go back into the garage. The pit crew is not allowed to use any powered devices to lift the car and they are not allowed to do any work on the car in the fast lane unless it is 30 minutes before the start of the formation lap. Now, only under certain circumstances are the crew allowed to work on the car in the formation lap. As concluded, changing tires, changing the cockpit for the driver's comfort, fitting or removing cooling and heating devices, and lastly, starting or stopping the engine. Now, the pit crew is not allowed to alter any form of the pit lane track in any way, aka painting lines, sweeping, anything that could kind of give the driver some type of advantage or the team. So now on to the F1 qualifying rules. As a rule, Formula One qualifying sessions take place on the second day Saturday. They are one-hour sessions beginning with the third practice session of the morning. The afternoon qualifying session determines the starting order for race day, Sunday. Following the knockout stages, Q3 begins with the 10 remaining cars. The final qualifying session is 12 minutes long. This result confirms the remaining 10 positions for the starting grid. The fastest driver from Q3 occupies pole position on the grid, and P1 is always the best position to begin the race. So 
Now that we've given you a brief insight into the Sporting Regulations Handbook, let's talk about some of the new items added to the Regulations Book for 2023. So now we have double the number of sprint events. An exciting development for 2023 where we see the number of sprint events doubled from three now to six. And the six races are Baku, Red Bull Ring, Belgium, Qatar, and the USGP. And lastly, the Sao Paulo. That those were the venues that were kind of chosen based off the track and the way that they're a little easier to do. So not only the format is changing, slash tweaks for this year, meaning the sprint will effectively become a standalone feature of race weekends when the format is used, with the outcome bearing no impact on the grid for the Grand Prix itself, which is Sunday. Fridays will now include a practice session followed by a standard qualifying session to set the grid for Sunday's GP. So Saturdays will see practice replaced by an additional shorter qualifying session now called the Sprint Shootouts. This will set the grid for the 100-kilometer Sprint event. Meanwhile, Sprint Accident Damage Allowance will now be a fixed amount per team versus will vary each last year. For each race weekend that includes a Sprint session, the forfeit allowance amount for each Sprint will double from 150k now to 300k for 2023 onwards, which means if you do not have your driver drive in the Sprint, you will pay a fine. Crazy. While other Sprint damages allowances will now be removed, alongside the park for me rules on spree sprint weekends, which are still under review for 2023 and are set to release in the new 2026 handbook. And now let's talk about the paddock working hours. They have now been cut. So the number of hours worked by an F1 team members across race weekend will be reduced in the upcoming seasons with the third of three restricted periods effective on Friday beginning an hour earlier this year and another hour set to be knocked off in 2024. To complement this move, the number of curfews permitted for the first Wednesday, the second Thursday, and restricted periods will also be cut in half from 8 to 4 and 6 to 3 respectively. Again, with another cut planned for next year. So this means that instead of working 12 hours in the paddock all day, you are now been limited on your time in there which is interesting i don't know if this is in place with like some mandates to be more safely and make sure everybody gets sleep or what's coming from this maybe so i don't know so now let's talk about the new qualifying format in drs trials so as i mentioned a revised qualifying format rqf will take place at up to two events in 2023 for the purpose of evaluating whether this revision is suitable for championships to follow as per the updated regulations. This will see tire compounds mandated from each stage and at RQF events, each driver may use no more than 11 sets of tires, but we'll see. As for DRS, inactivation from the start, race restart, or safety car restart will also be evaluated. 
with the F1 Commission exploring the possibility of bringing this forward by one lap at the, at the start of a race or sprint or safety car restart. This will also be trialed during each sprint session in 2023 with a view to introduce it for all races in 2024, as the F1 FIA has stated. So we shall see. And lastly, a move to clear up penalty confusion. So we all know that penalties are sporadic. Sometimes you get them, sometimes you don't. So FIA has now brought out a new regulation to help the confusion kind of lessen. We shall see. So grid penalties came under the spotlight at last year's Italian GP, where a host of drivers took power units and gearbox related drops and turned the order on its head, which means they had so many issues and FIA was just like, here, here, here. They finally were like, we're done. This is no longer happening. We have an issue. And essentially all just like went to the FIA and screamed and hollered. Following some of the confusion over how these were appealed, the wording of the regulations has been updated. So the relevant section now reads, classified drivers who have occurred more than 15 cumulative grid point penalties or who have been penalized to start at the back of the grid will start behind any other classified driver. Their relative position will be determined in accordance with their qualifying classification. I don't know about you, I read that directly from the handbook. It still sounds confusing. I can so see the team having, each team probably has a set person who is solely in charge of reading the regulations and actually understanding them. I agree with you, Han. I think it's still kind of confusing, but I bet each team has somebody who's tasked with understanding this, and I would not want to be that person. So the thing about these grid penalties is if you've accumulated so many grid pen penalties against you, it counts as points against your license. So that's where it gets a little complicated. And like Amy said, you almost need somebody who literally focuses just on that to keep everything in line, everyone in line, and know where to start and stop. Almost like a legal representative, which they, they probably have. I mean, who doesn't as them? And now to talk about what they mean as the qualifying classification and determination on where they start. So the weird thing is this is not determined by the race themselves or the driver themselves. That is, is strictly up to the FIA on what they choose to do. So if they tell you you're starting from the back, you can appeal it and hope for the best. But a lot of times since the appeal takes so long for processing, their race has already started. So what is appeal? So an appeal is if you have put in, if you've gotten a penalty, your team or your driver can appeal said penalty in hopes to get it removed or disqualified or fixed. 
AKA if you get five grade penalties and you think that the penalty was given to you unfairly, you can appeal that in hopes that it will be removed and the grid order will be fixed per se. But we can talk about that more in depth later on in another episode. And with that, we plan to do a little bit more of these segments about all things sporting regulations because this sporting regulation handbook was 114 pages. So I could not cover everything in one episode. So stay tuned for our social videos where we talk a little bit more in depth about these regulations. Now, as Hannah said, we will be doing some stuff on our socials and we do have some other FIA related episodes coming out so please keep an eye out so now it is time for every pgp girl's favorite time of our episode and that's our pre-outro and today we are going to do a motorsport fun fact of the week or a historic moment of the week if you will and that is the fact that recently 28 year old jessica hawkins completed 26 laps around the hungaro ring in the 2021 aston martin f1 car she is actually the first female F1 test driver in five years, which is a little crazy when you think about it. We did a little promo on our socials, so make sure you go check out our socials for that content. And we're so happy to see another female in motorsport doing amazing things, and we are all so proud of her. Well, everyone, we have to thank Anna for this episode because I cannot imagine the research that went into it. We have a couple more of these plans, so stay tuned for those technical and financial ones. What are you more interested in hearing about? Let us know on our socials. Everywhere we are Paddock Girls Podcast, except on Twitter. There you can find us at Paddock Girls Pod. As always, don't forget to rate, review, and share the podcast wherever you listen from, like Apple, Spotify, and TikTok. Thanks for joining us in the Paddock today. See you next time. Bye, Craig. Bye, Craig. Bye, Craig. Bye, Craig.